Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Woo-hoo! Alrighty, crowdfunders! How is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? Hopefully you guys are bringing in the dollars, right? Bringing in the insiders, proving that viability in the marketplace, and getting people pumped up and excited to back your campaign. So it has been a few weeks. I apologize for that. I don't know what happened. I literally, in the last few weeks, probably had six to seven crowdfunding campaign interviews booked, and the people never showed up. And that's hard to do in my system, right? Because I've got a lot of automation going on. So you got the emails. You got the reminders from the calendar app that you signed up for. You get an email from me about 24 hours to 18 hours before the campaign. Before the, we were supposed to do the interview of, hey, make sure you jump on. But we just had a whole bunch of campaigns, just no call, no show. So, but we're back. And you know what? Maybe it's all right. Maybe it was nice to take just a couple weeks off of uh, of of uh, the campaign, or of not the campaign, but of the of the interview. You know what I mean? Of the interviews. Just just taking a deep breath, right? We had the Thanksgiving holiday. Prior to that, you guys might not know, but um, Sean and I we went out at Clarkston University in upstate New York, and we were doing some uh, some teaching and whatnot there, which was exciting. Yeah. Um, we got to lay down some of our inside information to, uh, to, the, to the students, to the young minds out there in the world, telling them what to do and whatnot when it comes to crowdfunding. So that was exciting. Uh, and then obviously we had the Thanksgiving holiday there, right? So that was – hopefully everybody had a great time, had, had uh, ate some good food. We got to relax a little bit. You know, here in the, in, the, in the Michigan region, we got to watch some bad football. We got to watch the Lions drop another bomb, another stankar. Uh, and then we had Michigan dropping another bomb and another stanker um, to the Ohio State Buckeyes. So, but that's you know what? It's not news anymore. It's not even that shocking. It's actually you know it's been happening so much that it just comes to like yeah, that's how it works, right? So, a lot of stuff going on, man. It's 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 you know we got Christmas is coming up. We've got um, just a ton of stuff going on, man. It's, you know, I, I tell myself every year that I'm going to like, we're going to slow it down around the holidays, and it seems like it actually ramps up a little bit. Um, and I probably talked about it last year around this time, you know. So, but we are going to do a couple weeks off at the agency where we're going to be uh, slowing way, way, way down. Um, so that's that's coming up, man. Only a couple weeks away before that. But now we got to go to all the Christmas gifts for the kids. And this year, I didn't do what I did last year. I, I am I'm sorry to say, but I did not buy a lot of my Christmas gifts off Kickstarter. In fact, I haven't bought any, and I'm probably not going to because of the timing issues. So I'm gonna have to go traditional this year. It's no fault of Kickstarter or anything like that. It's just life. It's just life. So. I got I got to be honest too. I've gotten a ton of great feedback lately from the podcast, so it's kind of been around in the ethos a little bit of people who have chimed in saying that they've really enjoyed this. Um, it just, I had an interview today for uh, next Monday's episode, uh, Julian from uh, this robotic sleep pillow thing. I'll tell you more about that later, um, but he just gave me a ton of great uh, compliments over the over the why I'm doing this and how how you know really thankful he was. He's like he's like I'm a listener. I listen, um, so. 
exciting stuff here. But on today's episode, I don't even think I mentioned this. Did I mention it yet? Nuh-uh. I, I don't think I did. So t- today we're going to be talking to Jimin Kim. J-I-M-I-N Kim. And he's making a watch, right? And he has an unbelievable story, too, that we're going to get down into of you know him kind of you know, being a little lost maybe as a younger soul out there and then eventually kind of finding his way into making watches. Um, and it's the ethereal timepieces. So go check them out. Their, their campaign's doing well. They've got about 16 days to go as I'm taping this. Um, so go check them out, man. If you're looking for a really cool high-end uh, luxury timepiece with Swiss movement, uh, it's, it's cool, man. And, and, and uh, uh, Jim and I, we get really into... Um, how he was successful in building a following before he launched. And I'll, I'll and, and the conversation I'm going to have on Monday, I'm going to have a, a little hint on this, and I'm going to give you a, just a taste of it right now. It has to do with bots and Facebook Messenger, So, uh, which is a strategy we're using quite a bit now around here at the Woodshed Agency Camp. Um, so, but we're going to break down that a little bit coming up later too. Uh, what else is going on? Let's see. Kids are doing well here. Yeah, kids are all doing well. They're excited. They're they're asking for their Christmas gifts. You know, they they uh, we're getting our list ready to go for everybody. Uh, my sister ended up coming through big time, and I think got them a pretty cool gift. Hopefully, the kids aren't listening because they're 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 not supposed to know this yet. But they're gonna get a really cool like big gigantic like motorized Jeep thing this year, to, so they can terrorize the neighborhood. Well, so, oh, yesterday I um, I did some calling around and I got pre-approved in the mortgage world for for um, I, I, we got a big goal. Hopefully, first quarter next year, maybe buying a house. So that's big big news. What else is going on? Well, I got some stuff that I can't talk about yet. Um, but I have when I can announce this, and if this thing all goes down, it's 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 going to be tremendously big big time news about a a possible partnership going down. And I don't want to jinx it yet. Hold on. Knocking on wood. Uh, But I think this is going to be a big, big news coming too. So, all right. I think that's enough of me ranting. I probably have more to say, but I can't think of it right now. I mean, you know, it's, there's just too much going on. It's just busy time, busy time. So why don't we kick my conversation with Jim in from ethereal timepieces. By the way, that's a hard word for me to say. I'm not an expert sayer of words and that's a tough one for me to say. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and kick, kick my conversation. Let's talk about watches. Let's talk about how you uh, how you do a successful campaign when you're when you're running a watch company here. So, all right, here's my conversation with Jim. Well, all right, Jim, and I have hit the the record button. The red lights on, so don't get nervous. Just, uh, you know, stay cool. It's just, we're just going to record a quick podcast. So, all right, cool here. So, uh, why don't we do a quick sound check? So, uh, it's early for you right now, but have you had breakfast yet? No, I did not have breakfast. I actually have a glass of water in front of me. Just getting okay. ready to kick off my day. All right. Um, so what are you going to have for breakfast this morning outside of the water? Once I'm done with this, I'll probably go have a bowl of cereal or something. All right. What kind of cereal? I actually have no idea yet. I'm actually in my office right now, so I have a day job um, where I manage an engineering team, and our break room is pretty fully loaded with different kinds of cereal and oatmeal. So I usually get to choose from what I want, but one of my favorites are probably the Frosted Mini Wheats. 
Frosted mini wheats. Those yeah. are good. Those are tasty. Awesome. I had some uh, some chocolate Cheerios today, so I'm all revved up here. I got oh, my that sugar. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Well, I think we're sounding good here. So why don't we jump into the interview here? So why don't you tell my listeners about what you're raising money for on Kickstarter? Yeah, what I'm raising money for on Kickstarter right now is a new watch brand called Ethereal Timepieces. And our main mission for Kickstarter itself is to be able to um, raise enough funds to be able to get our Kickstarter to get the business kickstarted within the coming year or two. Um, the reason I came to Kickstarter is because in a saturated industry like the watch industry, um, initially when you're starting off, it's really hard to get traction. And most of the time before you can even get any exposure, um, your business is pretty much buried um, amongst all the other noise. So the beautiful thing about Kickstarter and the reason we're on here is to pretty much, first of all, raise enough initial capital to get our um, initial order fulfilled. And then on top of that, we want to be able to build a community of backers and supporters that we can kind of build a brand together with. Just because um, in today's world especially, I feel like it's so important for business owners to be able to connect with their supporters and customers to be able to determine how they're going to move their business forward. Well, that's cool. So how do you sort of come up with the idea to start a watch company? That doesn't seem like that's something that you can just start overnight. So where does the love of, of making uh, luxury watches come in? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And a lot of people ask me that um, because I, I live in the Silicon Valley and this is pretty much the epicenter and hub of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had a pretty successful career in engineering and management here over the past seven years. So as opposed to all the other tech startups that I could have gotten myself involved with, the reason why I went with watches is because I love what they represent. I have an extreme passion for um, traditional timekeeping watches, mainly because of what they represent. Um, People always ask me, like, what do I value most in life? And the obvious answer is always the word time, Um, just because it's literally invaluable. It's one thing that you can't even buy um, every second that passes by, every minute that passes by. Um, first of all, you can't turn it back. And second of all, you can't buy it back. And third of all, it's not guaranteed. So it's extremely valuable, and that's what a watch represents. But as a result of all this technology governing the way we live today, our traditional timekeeping devices are being replaced with uh, wearables, Fitbits, smartphones, or smart devices. And a lot of the importance and value um, that kind of represents watches is it's getting a little bit shaded and missed. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had a big fascination for it. Even when I was young, I just loved the way they look. Um, it's like the only accessory that a guy can wear um, that really puts that little bell and whistle to their outfit. Right, right, right. That, that and I think a good uh, pocket square, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's always a good one too. Yeah, um, a watch to a guy is pretty much like a purse to a woman. Yeah. Um, so it's very, it's very important for us and for myself. Well, what's the first steps? I mean, outside of, you know, obviously them being an important part of your life, um, you know, I I guess for the the common person, what is the first steps in like, all right, I'm going to make, I'm going to make my own watch now. I think the first step is to make sure that you're really passionate about it. Um, I've tried to run around four or five different businesses in the past. And I feel like a lot of times um, I started them because I saw a big opportunity in the market for it. Um, But the decision that I had to make in order to make watches was to really ask myself, if I were to start a business, um, what would it be for? Would it be because there's a hole in the market for it? Or would the first question I ask myself be, is that where my greatest passion lies? 
because the previous businesses I tried to run, I saw that I had, um, I wanted to do it because I saw a market opportunity for it and I had a passion for business. But about the product itself, um, I don't think I was as passionate. But when I first decided to make watches, I kept on asking myself, is this something I can do and spend an additional 10 hours per day on top of my day job working for? And the obvious answer was yes. So the first decision or the first factor that determines whether you could go ahead and kickstart this business or not is how bad do you want it and how bad do you love it? Sure, sure. So, you know, so there is quite a few watches right now that pop up on Kickstarter. So tell, let's, you know, for our listeners who can't see it right now, can I describe maybe the feel, the look, um, you know, sort of the special features of it? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of watch businesses on Kickstarter right now. I mean, even the month of November has been so competitive and October has been extremely competitive. So um, in terms of timing, a lot of people say I kicked off at a wrong time. But in my opinion, I don't think there's a wrong time to kick off if you're confident in your product. Because if you can't cut through all that initial noise, then you can't really expect to cut through in the actual industry anyways, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So regardless of all that noise and all these brands popping up, um, I did end up launching in November. And there are a few unique factors about the watch. And it's really difficult to actually um, state unique factors about a watch because a watch is um, it's kind of made up of the same components as every other watch, right? Um, initially, the most important is the movement, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the movement is pretty much the equivalent to a human's heart. It's what keeps you running. And for a watch, it's got to be reliable, right? So for our movement, we've decided to um, directly source movements from Switzerland. And they are known as the mecca of watchmaking. Right. And if you go to a luxury watch boutique or you go to a department store, um, you see a lot of watches that say the word Swiss on it. And that's a huge selling point for them. And people don't even know why they're paying that much for it. But the whole idea behind Swiss movements, in my opinion, is that um, the movement is the most important and critical part of a watch. And I did not want to cheap out on that specific aspect. So a Swiss movement watch at the department store would probably cost you anywhere northwards of $1,000. And the way we're doing it, we're able to source them independently. And we are selling directly through online, um, online retail. So we're able to offer Swiss movement luxury watches for you know under a thousand dollars. Well, far under a thousand dollars because they're going for around one hundred and sixty and four hundred for the low end and high end models right now. And and in the watch world, what is the difference between you know sort of low end and high end? I guess these sort of g- generic terms. I think the main part of it is going to be the movement and the way they market the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say low end watches you'd be looking at either like a Chinese movement or a Japanese movement. Um, they're a lot more common. They're a lot more easier to source. And they're definitely reliable as well. But then when it comes to the precision and the whole prestige behind it, um, Swiss just has a completely different connotation to it. And is it easier for like, I mean, if something goes wrong to fix them, is, is that you know what you're kind of de- te- describing too? I mean, is that something that's, this is a... Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, something that you buy that you'll have for the rest of your life, you'll pass down to your grandkids, or it's something that, you, you know, it, it will break down at some point. Oh, definitely. So the reason I'm using Swiss is because of longevity, and um, they're very proven movements. Um, they've been around for more than 100 years, so mm-hmm. um, people would know the reliability behind them. So if you ever go to like a watch forum where you're talking to like a watch guru, and um, you're saying that you have a luxury watch with Japanese movements in it, they're like, well, we know they're reliable, but you know they're not as proven as Swiss movements are. So that's the big indicating factor. 
Um, in terms of the ability to repair them, I'd say a lot of watch repair men will be familiar with it, um, but the chances of it actually breaking down or needing repair are very slim to none. Yeah. So that's the reason we offer a five-year warranty on our watch movements specifically, because we want people to have the peace of mind that when they buy this watch, this is an investment that is worth making. And second of all, it is something that they can pass on to their you know, children or grandchildren or whatnot. That's cool. That's cool. So let's talk a little bit about you. So where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a small town called Tacoma, Washington. It's a little bit north of where I live right now in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. And, and like, what did your parents So that's where I grew up. Um, my father was always in the military, so he's always been traveling around, and I've never really, um, I've never really spent much time with him due to him always traveling around. Um, my mother, when I was in Washington State, she was living in California independently. Um, she had some business over here, so um, I had a guardian when I was in Washington State, and I was just going to elementary school, middle school, and high school. And and and, and you described that you have a more of a like a tech background, correct? Yeah, the tech background only really came into play once I turned 17. That's the age at which I moved to the Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And when I was living in Washington State, tech was not that big there. Like, I've always heard the word Silicon Valley and how big it was and how futuristic it is. But uh, while I was living in Washington State, I never really understood the importance of it. Because back when we were living there, it's all about, you know, going to school, getting good grades, hanging out with your friends, um, going out to the play center after school. Um, there's not really much to it. So I've gotten into technology after I moved to California. And, and, and like, I mean, what was the what 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 was the drive for? What what were you seeing? What is it that you like about it? You know, how did you get into that? Yeah, I guess um, before all of that, um, I had to make a decision to move to California from Washington State. While I was living there, um, let's just say I wasn't spending my time too wisely. So, um, seventeen years of life there, I was going to school. Um, but I was skipping 50% of the time. Um, I actually hated studying, so there was really no motivation for me to go to school in the first place. And then, you know, it was my 17th year, and I was in high school getting ready to graduate. And um, that's the time where everybody's reflecting, and they should already be kind of aware of what they want to do in the future. But I had no idea at all. And all the influence around me, um, I wouldn't say it was too good because Lakewood was the city I lived in in Washington, and it's not really a, it's not really a safe or well-off neighborhood by any means. Like you guys may have heard of Seattle, but Lakewood is actually thirty to forty minutes um, south of Seattle, and I'd say it was just a very dark and dangerous environment where I couldn't really see myself, you know, moving forward and becoming, you know, successful. Wow! Wow! So. Um, so once you sort of move out and get into Silicon Valley, do you get do you get a job right away? Like what what starts happening for you? Yeah, I moved out to the Silicon Valley and I spent around three to four years just sitting around, you know, sitting around on my bum, kind of deciding on what I want to do. And um, for the first two years, I went. I finished up high school. Um, surprisingly, I graduated, even though I skipped every single year of my senior year of high school. Um, reason being, I guess I had a lot more credits from Washington State and the equivalent to the number of California credits required, um, it kind of aligned. Oh, interesting. So I was able to graduate. Um, I went to community college, and I was holding a couple of part-time jobs while going to community college. And by the time I was 19, I received a opportunity to pretty much um, run my own business with an investment from one of the managers I used to work for. 
So that was when I first, you know, started my dessert cafe as my first business opportunity. And it failed and fell flat within the first three months. And, you know, that's when I realized, hey, maybe business is not for me and I have to go back to school. Right. So it took me another, you know, four to five years to graduate um, university. And I ended up getting a degree in management information systems. It's kind of like a blend between business and technology because I couldn't completely let go of the entrepreneur in me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wanted something a little bit more conservative, which is in the technical world. Right, right. So I was able to find a business degree that specializes in um, information technology, which felt like a good decision for me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you, you, so right now, where are you kind of envisioning sort of your steps going? Is it something that you envision creating just this whole watch company and, and maybe making a, like a movement around men's fashion or anything like that? Or do you see this, you know, being a like like you mentioned earlier, something that you're working on ten hours a week for for the next few years? Yeah, so the, I guess the reason I work on it an additional ten hours a week is because I can't spend sixteen hours a week on it. <laughs> if I had the opportunity to spend like my entire day on this business, I would totally do it. But um, living in the Silicon Valley in San Francisco, it's just ridiculously expensive, um, and I have a family, so. I guess what the, the only opportunity I really have right now is to be able to work at my company full time, uh, make a living off of that, and spend the later half of my day um, building my empire on the side. That's cool. That's very cool. And for my yeah, for my watch business, it's it's more than just a hobby. Like I love it. Um, it's my passion. But I want to completely shake up how luxury watches are perceived today, and how people are purchasing luxury watches today. Because when you're going to the department store, which is what we've been doing for the past you know, 10 to 20 to 30 years, um, a lot of what you're paying for is not the actual premium quality of the watch itself. Sure, that's involved, but a majority of the money you're paying is going towards um, all of the middlemen and the wholesalers that are in between the manufacturer and you, the customer. So I feel like that's a little bit unfair for consumers and consumers have the perception that they're paying for luxury when in fact, a lot of their money is going to these people in the middle that are completely unnecessary and excessive. That's cool. That's that's awesome. So let's flip over to the actual Kickstarter campaign, which is why we're talking right now. So you got 19 days to go. Um, you've basically almost doubled your goal here with 152 backers, and you're you're just under thirty six thousand dollars as of right now that we're recording this. So what was sort of the mindset that you were building up and leading to um, before launching the Kickstarter campaign? I guess the mindset that I've had was. Um it was really difficult because I've worked on this for the past year and a half to two years and I've put a lot of my own finances and money into it. Um, when people thought of Kickstarter, my initial, my initial thought was, um, I thought it would be a portal or, you know, this outlet where you could pretty much post a very creative idea and without rolling in a single dime to it, you can get an investment to start a business. Um, but Kickstarter nowadays, especially for a saturated product like watches, it is extremely difficult, and as time goes by, I realize um, how much of a marketing platform it's become. It's a great place for people to express their ideas, but without investing your own money and time into it, it's not really feasible yeah. to make your campaign worthwhile and successful. So while I was going into it, um, I was putting so much time into it, so much effort. Um, I did invest my own money into it, and my thought going into it is like, wow, I've worked so hard every single day for this you know, vision and dream. And I was so curious as to what the reality of it would be like, you know, because as soon as you hit that green launch button, 
you have no idea and it's completely uncertain what's going to happen, right? right? So it's one of the most dreaded moments, but at the same time, it's one of the most exciting moments. And that was the only thought that's been coming to my mind. Like, is my entire dream, everything I've been working up for, and this greatest passion of mine going to become a complete flop? Or are people going to see the value behind it? And are people going to believe in the vision behind it and support us? And clearly they have. I mean, they've, they've definitely come out and, and have supported you. So was there an um, was there one or two strategies that you pointed to that, that got you to the momentum that you needed uh, early in the campaign? Yeah, I think my I think my strategy in the beginning of the campaign was a lot more impactful than my strategy um, currently as I'm running now. Um, but initially, the whole reason I like to do Kickstarter is because you get to build a community of supporters when you're launching your product. And they give you feedback, they believe in you, they're pushing you, um, they're waiting for these beautiful products to come into their hands. And I kept on asking myself, like, instead of doing that while running the campaign, why don't I do that before running the campaign and kind of get the market feedback and engage with people? So I think one of the biggest unique factors of the campaign was my ability to pretty much engage with all of my potential backers before the campaign started, um, which is commonly called as the pre-launch campaign. Uh, without a pre-launch campaign, you cannot gain the momentum and the initial buzz required um, to cut through all the noise on Kickstarter, especially for a watch business. So initially when I started, um, I'd say three to four months before I started, um, I had all of my designs ready, I had my prototypes ready, and that's when I actually started to reach out. But more than reaching out, um, I was just putting content and advertisement out there and utilizing an inbound method where I'm launching Facebook messaging ads. And what that encourages people to do is if they're encouraged, if they're excited about your product and they're interested in it, um, they'll send you a Facebook message. And that was my way of pretty much engaging with all of them one-on-one. Yeah, that, that's actually, it's funny you mentioned that. That's been our biggest uh, success story here in the last probably four months, maybe three months for us too, is, is just driving conversations in Messenger. Uh, our click-through rates are through the roof. Our open rates are, are awesome. And, and we're getting the most engagement there. So interesting that, that you guys did the same thing. Yeah, Facebook messaging ads and um, emails are critical for your pre-launch campaign. I, yeah, <laughs> we agree completely over here. That's what we're doing over here. So very cool, very cool. <laughs> um, has there been anything that's sort of been standing out maybe in your dashboard that has been, you know, you weren't expecting or, or anything along those lines? Um, I'm actually going to click on my dashboard right now since I have it open. And one thing that's kind of been standing out was the number of people that were actually waiting for the launch. Um, that's really important because if you look at the metrics and the stats, you can see that we crushed, we completely crushed our $17,000 minimum funding goal. Um, that happened within the first 30 to 35 minutes of our launch. So that shows how excited people were, but that also showed the impact of running a pre-launch and the um, benefits of pretty much building that relationship with your potential supporters before the launch because they don't only trust the product, but they also trust you at the same time. And they're supporting your vision. Right, right. Yep. So if I look at the graph, like it's extremely scared. Like the first day uh, we hit our funding goal and far exceeded that. And the rate of growth after that has kind of been stabilizing a little bit more. Um, so that was a very surprising fact. I was just surprised at how many people were waiting for this thing to launch and get their hands wow, on it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that, that tells you what you, you did beforehand worked. Um, very cool. Very cool. So, you know, so with. Yeah, I just wish I spent a little bit more time <laughs> right, on it. Right, right. <laughs> 
So with 19 days to go, um, you know, what is the strategy right now outside of being on this uh, big podcast here that you're, you know, you're talking to, but what, what is it that you're doing to kind of keep the momentum going um, for the next few weeks? Yeah, we're working on a little bit of stretch goals. I'm getting a lot of feedback from the customers. I'm actually reaching out to each and every one of them individually after they make their pledge. And what I'm doing is I'm still trying to engage with them. You know, first of all, seeing where they came from, um, how did they come across our campaign, uh, what is their current feedback, you know, what would they like to see in the future. And based upon that feedback, I'm speaking with my partners about creating some stretch goals for them to look forward to. And um, that's kind of like a reward that I can give to my backers for supporting me. First of all, um, these watches themselves for the backers are limited edition, so they're going to have a special numbered engraving on them. But on top of that, I want our backers and supporters to understand that their opinions are being heard and are valuable and, and important so we can continue that engagement moving on forward. Um, in terms of publicity, we're planning to reach out to some PR slash media influencers, and we've actually started to do that already. So I'll be shipping out a couple of packages today um, in regards to samples and whatnot so they can go ahead and promote the product. And we are still running Facebook ads. We're not running too many of them just because um, Facebook ads themselves, they cost a lot of money, but um, there's so many on the Facebook platform itself. Like, how are we really going to differentiate between the different brands? Um, So we're utilizing some unique methods right now. We're trying to get published in blogs, Facebook pages, and groups. Uh, One of the greatest benefits I saw and when I saw the greatest increase in traffic was when a completely... um, unknown user. I I don't even know this guy, but he saw one of our Facebook ads and he shared it in the watch group that he's proud of on Facebook. And this happened with two different people with two different groups. And our view rates and our click rates and our backing rate has, it's been surprising during that specific period uh, where they shared that post. Interesting. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, cutting through all the noise, um, connecting with people, uh, meeting up with influencers and sending them samples. Right, right. So, you know, after, uh, you know, you got the 19 days for the campaign and then you got the two weeks or so before the money starts to come in from the campaign. But what's the first step after the campaign uh, ends and all the money drops in the bank account? I think the first step, um, so before the campaign even ends, I'm actually going to place my order so I can go ahead and get the um, order fulfillment prepared. Um, You know, everybody has a credit card and as long as you can pay off your entire credit card debt within a month, um, you don't accrue any interest on that. So my strategy is pretty much to foresee how many orders I'm going to have at the end of this and also um, try to get a gist of which ones I need to order. And I'm planning to place my order in advance at least two weeks before oh. the campaign ends, which is in the next coming right. five, seven days. And the reason I want to do that is because there's always unexpected delays, unexpected circumstances when fulfilling. And when you have any delays in your fulfillment process, um, you lose a lot of credibility. And I want to make sure that doesn't happen. And second of all, I know how anxious people are to receive their product. So, you know, before the campaign even ends and after the campaign ends, I'm going to be uh, working full time on pretty much working out the fulfillment. So it's as smooth as possible. That's cool. That's very cool. So where do you see, you know, the project yourself? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Uh, Within the next five years, honestly, this project is, it's a business idea and it's a vision that I have that I want to become a reality. But more than that, I think the reason I really like to resort to Kickstarter and the reason I'm on this podcast is because um, I don't want to share my success story with people, but I do want to share my journey with people, uh, mainly because the whole road to entrepreneurship and the whole road to starting a business in itself, um, it could be very lonely and it could be very, um, it could be very 
scary at times because you believe in the product and you believe, you believe in your vision, but you know, how do other people perceive oh, yeah. it? Right. And how do other people perceive you? And my whole story about entrepreneurship is about having the passion and the drive to actually set the direction you want to head in your life. And after that, you're just going all in. And I want people to remember like the road to entrepreneurship doesn't have to be lonely. You know, there's other people that are out here that are going through the same things and the same thoughts as you are. And it's just a matter of connecting with them and more people like us sharing our story that kind of becomes inspiration and motivation to people to actually take a leap into entrepreneurship. So this business in itself is something that's going to help me build my vision forward. But at the same time, I wanted to encourage and inspire other people to take that first step into the journey of entrepreneurship. Well, I can't say it any better than that. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we, we everything you just said, you, you just gave me my testimonials. Uh, that's that's why we do all of this, man. It's it's about the conversations. It is about all that sort of stuff. It's about not feeling alone in the Kickstarter campaigns too, you know, and and and, and just putting out that inter- information and vibe on, you know, how it works, right? How, how to get people excited about your project. So, well, I, I appreciate it. So where can people find out more information outside of the Kickstarter? How can people dive into your world? Um, I would actually recommend um, people go ahead and reach out to me personally, just because personal personal engagement is definitely my thing. Like, I don't want people to be contacting me through my business in particular. Um, I don't want them to talk to a businessman. I want them to talk to me, which is Jimin. And um, that's always been my motivating factor for everything I do. Like, it's great just being able to put my personal email out there and people reach out to me uh, for anything personal, anything business related. Um, I'm never afraid to speak with people from on a personal level. But I'm also never afraid to share any business know-how that I have because it's not what you know that's going to make you successful. Um, it's going to be your ability to execute that's going to make you successful. So for anybody listening to this, um, anybody that comes across my Kickstarter campaign, anybody that comes across my first and last name, um, I want them to know that I'm here as a friend. So if they want to reach me, I can go ahead and encourage them to reach out to me via my personal email. And what is that? you want to share that out? Um, it's... Yeah, it's Jimin Kim, J-I-M-I-N, and then K-I-M, 408 at gmail.com. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm really glad we could connect and talk and uh, very ex- inspiring stories, man. I love uh, love the watches. They look great. Um, and uh, I, I wish you nothing but success, man. And uh, hopefully the next, teen, ne- next 19, day, uh, 19 days go, your, 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 your dashboard continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. So I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, thank you very much, man. Thank you for inviting me. All right, how about that conversation with Jimin? Yeah, I felt like there was some more in there we could have pulled from, but uh, you know, we just didn't. We just didn't, didn't get into it, and, and uh, maybe we'll talk again at some at some other point when he's got another uh, campaign running. So, Jimin, thanks so much for taking the time again to, to talk to us. So, the song we listen to is a song called "Out of My Life." Uh, it's off of the Sugar Roses collection, which nobody has ever heard, um, but that's going to change. I'm going to talk about that uh, for Monday a little bit as to why that's going to change. So, all right, hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you all on Monday. We turn around before they lock us both away Every time I see your face Another minute with you can
believe I took the time to write you this song. 